The DPP, KMT and TPP have come to an agreement on the date for a presidential debate. It will be held on December 30th at PTS and will be co-organized by 11 media companies, including FTV. Questions for the candidates will be provided by five media outlets. As for a vice presidential debate, January 1st is tentatively set with questions to be posed by four media outlets. The date still awaits confirmation by TPP vice presidential candidate Wu Xingying, who is currently out of the country. Before the debates, FTV will broadcast a televised policy presentation on December 20th, featuring all three presidential candidates. With just 36 days to go before the presidential and legislative elections, DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde is campaigning at full throttle. He's been rallied along by former Deputy DBP Secretary General and former Sunflower Student Movement activist Ling Feifan, Internet celebrity Yi Li Zheng, and DPP party list candidates. They are calling for Han Guoyu, a pro-China former KMT presidential candidate, not be elected to the legislature. Before Christmas, the DPP plans another four days of intensive campaigning covering Lai's campaign headquarters across Taiwan. The DPP's campaign truck that's been touring all over Taiwan arrives in Taipei. Former DPP's Deputy Secretary General Lin Feifan and DPP party list candidates shout that Hang Guoyu, a pro-China former KMT presidential candidate, cannot be allowed to serve as legislative speaker. The KMT joins with the TPP and then finally Hang Guoyu can become legislative speaker. We have to go to every constituency and tell everyone about this. And we must try to win the support of every friend we have. You can see our truck everywhere. In addition to getting closer to young friends, I also hope to be the best conveyor of our values. Let us enter the legislature and let's prevent Han Guoyu from getting elected. This is really important. Jing Guo says Han Guoyu created a situation for himself where the number of votes cast to recall him as Kaohsiung mayor was higher than the number of votes he received when elected. He's also made discriminatory remarks against women. The DPP is also making use of Taiwanese internet celebrity and model Ili Zheng to boost support from young voters. Hou Youyi has clearly told everyone that he wants to open up to China. He wants to promote jobs for China. Chinese students in Taiwan, and he also wants to quickly restart the cross-strait trade and services agreement. Isn't that the reason why we took to the streets during the Sunflower Student Movement to oppose Ma Ying-jeou? Let us all stand up for Xiao and Lai to preserve precious democratic freedoms and protect Taiwan. In order to fight for a legislative majority, DPP presidential candidate Vice President Lai Ching-de has ordered an intensive campaign across the nation, including rallies in 22 cities and counties. Some legislative candidates have seen inaugurations of their campaign headquarters so they can compete in fiercely contested constituencies. And just before Christmas, the DPP will begin a four-day stumping campaign in every campaign headquarter in each county and city. In the future, Lai Qingde will go around Taiwan three more times to continue with the diligent spirit he's shown in the past, in hopes this will arouse everyone's support for the DPP. Now in the final stages of election campaigning, the DPP's battle to boost voter turnout is being fought in the streets through directly engaging with locals.
A group of students is aiming to raise $600,000 to help young adults return to their hometowns to vote this upcoming presidential election. The student representatives say they will use these funds to make transport arrangements so that about 1,000 students will be able to cast their vote. The arrangements will also include ferries to and from the outlying islands and subsidies for flights. Several youth associations have launched a campaign to raise 600,000 NT and arrange chartered transportation so that 1,000 young people can return to their hometowns to cast a vote on January 13th. There are many issues up for discussion in this election that young people care about. We cannot be absent from this election. As someone from Hualien, I'm used to bus and train tickets being sold out and taking long journeys home. But it's not just about me. There are many students living in the east coast and in the outlying islands. For students in rural areas and for Indigenous students, returning home is a tough challenge that neither you or I can imagine. The students protest that tickets are hard to come by and that prices are high at more than 1,000 NT for a round trip. Their goal is to offer transport services one day before election day for the low price of 113 NT over 30 routes connecting north, south, east and west. The plan would include ferries to and from outlying islands and flight subsidies. Among youth voters aged 20 to 35, the past voting rate was not high, oscillating at just about 50% or 60%. If we get the 600,000 NT, we can help 1,000 to 2,000 students go home to vote. Besides the student-led program, the Taiwan High-Speed Rail is selling tickets at a discount of 50% on 28 extra services for the winter holiday season, offering another option for students to go back home. Demand for cough medicine is on the rise as mycoplasma infections continue to grow in China. Reports say some people have bought medicines in Taiwan to sell in China at five times the price. The Federation of Taiwan Pharmacists Association says it has activated monitoring systems to flag people who buy more than 10 boxes of medicine in one go. Our pharmacists report that there are people buying large amounts of medicine and selling it in China via the little three links. The price in Taiwan might be around 100 NT, and they sell it for 500 NT in China. If the customer buys 10 boxes or 20 boxes, then it's clearly not for their own short-term use. The CDC on Friday reported a minor with mycoplasma registered in Taiwan. It was a boy in his teens who got tested at the airport after entering Taiwan from China on December 4th. He was taken for treatment the next day, and his fever receded after medical attention. Fishing culture education is a priority for the fisheries agency, which hopes to promote understanding of fishing as an industry. This year, officials have organized a training and mentoring scheme for seven companies and NGOs to enhance their education 
work. Each of the seven groups offers different types of education related to the fishing industry. They offer DIY fish cooking classes for kids, picture books about fishing culture, and walking tours of fish farms. A fishnet is thrown out, and lots of fish are brought back on shore. The fisheries agency has enlisted seven groups from across Taiwan in a fishing culture education project. One of their partners is the Culture and Environment Development Association from Daliao Kaohsiung. They head into local elementary schools to get kids making fish floss rice bowls and learning about fishing culture. Meanwhile, a group of second and third generation fishers from Pingdong have formed Line of Mountain Sea to offer fishing lifestyle experiences. Participants can experience all things fishing, from the sea to the kitchen, and take part in a waste material craft class to reduce ocean pollution. We want people from other places to come to our fishing villages and see how developed they are now and throw away their old ways of thinking about traditional aquaculture. Other fishing experts are promoting net cage fishing with a picture book of stories all about the natural environment of Penghu. Net cage fishing is a more natural type of aquaculture. The fish are grown in the sea. We feed them with forage fish, which is more eco-friendly. The people at Gangwan Liuyu Cultural Studio in Lugang Zhanghua take workshop participants in a stroll from their eel farm to their fish ponds in a walking biology lesson. We start the tour from the fish pond, and we take people to a small river to a river mouth which flows into the sea. They can see the original habitat of the eel. The seven groups have many different educational services, but all share the goal of increasing understanding of fishing industries and hope more educators will join the ranks soon. TSMC has been facing challenges with labor since the start of work on its fab in the U.S. And now, after several months of negotiations, an agreement has finally been reached with local union leaders. TSMC will be allowed to hire foreign employees with specialized experience under specific circumstances. It will also be required to invest 1.5 million U.S. dollars to train manpower needed to set up semiconductor fabs. It is indeed the case that the labor unions have begun to show their goodwill toward TSMC. Of course, this will inject a sizable boost to the construction of TSMC's fab in Arizona. China's semiconductor manufacturing is being rapidly suppressed, which has brought to the fore the value of investing in Taiwan-related semiconductors. This also makes it possible to stay some distance away from Hong Kong stocks, especially now that Hong Kong stocks are facing some adjustments related to domestic demand. TSMC's Arizona plant had faced delays amid what the company said had been a shortage of skilled manpower. The chipmaker had initially planned to dispatch staff to the U.S., but the move was protest protested by local unions. Now that the dispute has been solved, TSMC shares made gains on Friday, lifting up the market. Analyst says Taiwan shares could hit new highs for the index this year. That's in stark contrast with Hong Kong stocks, which have been dragged down by China's post-pandemic e economy. 23 Thai nationals held hostage by Hamas in Gaza for 50 days have returned home. Despite their ordeal, some are considering returning to Israel due to low wages in the rural areas they call home. 
Voice of America's Vichra Jundi reports from Thailand. A homecoming for a survivor of horrors thousands of kilometers away. Wishi and Them Tong started working on an Israeli avocado farm just six days before Hamas militants stormed Kibbutz Sa'ad, killing seven other Thai migrant workers. He was taken hostage and held for seven weeks. A migrant worker from Thailand's poorest region caught in someone else's war. He returned with 23 other Thais, freed during the now-lapsed ceasefire. But nine more remain captive. I've had the warmest welcome from everyone. They've been coming to see me every day since I returned. It brought me to tears. My wife told me everyone's been following the news. I had no idea as I didn't see the light of day for nearly two months. I'm just so happy to be back. Over 30,000 Thais worked in Israel before the Hamas assault. 39 Thais died in the raid, with 32 taken hostage in the bloody chaos. Wishian is from Thailand's rice-producing Isan region, where average farm wages are $10 a day. In Israel, Thais can earn up to $1,700 a month. Overseas work can be life-changing for Isan people, allowing migrants with little education to build a home or send their kids to college. Hamas' kidnapping of Thai migrants has cast a spotlight on the poverty of millions of people in the Southeast Asian country. As she waited at the airport for her cousin Komgrit Chombua to return from Israel, Biyanat Putsuti said Thailand's low wages make overseas work inevitable for Isan's people. My cousin just wanted to give his family a better life, give them a home, money. Now safe and at home, Komgrit has also left the door open to return to the overseas workforce. I'm so happy to be back. It feels like I've been reborn. The whole village has welcomed me back. Hard choices remain for Thailand's poorest people. Stay poor at home or risk their lives overseas. Wichitra Rundi, VOA News, Isan Region, Thailand. Now for a brush up on food hygiene. Are you someone who will carry leftover food home in a paper napkin? Many people do it, but doctors say it's a very bad idea. And that's because white napkins often contain chemical brighteners that could get onto food and cause a health risk. Medical professionals say that napkins are not recommended as food containers. When you eat out and you can't finish the meal, what do you do? Many people wrap their leftovers in a napkin. But did you know that according to doctors, that's a dangerous choice? I didn't know. I usually wrap leftovers that way. If I have a plastic bag, of course I use that. If not, if I just have a napkin, then I think it's okay to use that too. Many think a napkin is harmless, but doctors say it's unthinkable. The reason is that many paper towels and napkins are made with optical brighteners, which make the paper appear more white and shiny. But ingesting these brighteners could pose a health risk. What's worrying about white paper napkins is that they may contain optical brighteners. If those brighteners get into our food and then you ingest them, we would be concerned it could lead to stomach discomfort, nausea, vomiting, or stomach pain. Paper napkins are not designed as food containers. If food is kept in them for a long time, 
they can also be a breeding ground for microbes. If people want to carry food, we suggest using a container made of glass, ceramic, or stainless steel and avoiding white napkins. This doctor recommends a careful choice when it comes to carrying food, ideally something that meets food safety standards and hygiene regulations. Best of all is to eat your food as fresh as possible. A Reeling Elementary School principal has won a national award for her pioneering leadership in Xialun. Mentory principal Huang Shuling is committed to the development of every child, championing support for students with special needs. She's also pioneered bringing counseling and coaching skills to her rural school. The award-winning school has strong ties with its coastal community, making ocean education a big part of the curriculum. As Huang looks toward retiring from teaching and committing herself to counseling, we caught up with the excellent Teacher Award winner to learn more. Xiaolun Elementary Principal Huang Shuling has had a 32-year teaching career. As the school is on the coast, she brings in community initiatives to promote ocean education. Her efforts have won several major awards from the Ministry of Education, and this year she was chosen for the Excellent Teacher Award. In the development of all our groups, the goal is to let each child find those places to develop that suit them. In her eight years at Xiaolun Elementary, Huang has improved the school's physical facilities while holding to the principle that no child is left behind. That's also become a core educational value for the school. My teachers, when I was a child, were all country teachers, but they never gave up on us either. They never thought that countryside kids had no prospects, so we think each child has their own unique qualities and strengths. Huang believes there's a lack of counseling and coaching skills in rural areas, so she also serves as a coach, psychological counselor, and special education expert. Her free time is spent on further training in counseling and coaching skills. She's passionate about improving communication between the school and parents, and wants each child with special needs to have a stable space to develop. In this process, it's actually just this year that I've had the chance to take further education at the counseling Institute in Jai. I'm hoping that improving my skills will help me assist these children who have what we call more profound needs which require specialist skills. The Excellent Teacher Award is a huge stamp of approval for any educator. Last year, Xiaolun Elementary also won the Educational Excellent Gold Award as a school. Huang accredits these achievements to the hard work of her whole team. She plans to retire from teaching next year and become a full-time psychological counselor, continuing to use her skills to support local education in a new way. If you want to catch the first rays of sunshine of 2024 on January 1st, get ready for a hike. The first spot on Taiwan to get some sun will be Bonan Mountain in Hualien at 6.03 a.m. But if climbing a mountain is not for you, there are also some good spots in the plains. The first area at sea level to catch the sunrise will be the Erwanbi Lighthouse at 6.34 a.m. People wait with phones in their hands to capture the sun rising up from the horizon. Astronomical experts have released the times Taiwan is expected to see the first daybreak of 2024. The first spot to see the sun will be Bonan Mountain in Hualien, which will get its first rays at 6.03 a.m. 
The first place in Taiwan to see the sunrise will be Bonan Mountain in Hualien. It is a peak at an altitude of more than 3,400 kilometres above sea level. It is quite deep in the mountains and hard to reach. Down in the plains, the Luambi Lighthouse will be the first place to welcome the sun in 2024 on Taiwan proper. Astronomers have compiled a list of places to watch the first sunrise of 2024. Besides Bornan Mountain in Hualien, the sun's rays will hit Dasan Mountain in Orchid Island at 6.04am and Mount Nanhu in Taroku National Park at 6.03am. If venturing up mountains is a hassle, the first sun rays in the plains will strike Erluanbi Lighthouse in Pingdong at 6.34 a.m. The key to being able to admire the sunrise is to find a place that has a wide open view and no obstructions. If you want to catch the earliest rays of sun, we recommend going somewhere where you can see the east horizon above ground, or even go to the seaside to watch it rise from the horizon at the sea. You need somewhere that has unobstructed views so that you can catch the sun as soon as it rises. With less than a month to go until December 31st, people are making preparations to ring in the new year. You can relax for the new year and go check out things you wouldn't normally do. That's what everyone wants to do. If the weather's good, I'd go look at the sunrise. It's like a new beginning, a new hope. Besides getting the time and place right, if you want to see the first sunrise of the year, hope for a bit of luck with the elements to start 2024 with clear skies.